Before I call the ushers forward, let me read to you from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. So, encourage you before any Lord's Supper at, at home to be examining yourself Um, Don't come to the table without confessing sin. If you have something against a brother, go to him or a sister and confess your sins and extend forgiveness to one another before you come to this table. So let's take time now to confess our sins silently in our, our heart before we receive the elements. Apostle John writes in 1 John, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Praise God for His mercy and forgiveness. Men, please come forward. O great is Thy faithfulness, Lord. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. All that I've needed, your hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Take the bread. Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for such a great salvation. Thank you for your forgiveness and the righteousness in Christ which you impute to us. We know eating this bread and taking this drink is not what sanctifies it us, it is you, Lord, and our faith in you and you alone, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So much to celebrate this morning. Amen? Amen. What a glorious day. And we have a special celebration coming the end of the message as we're commissioning officially Jim Boyd. I have to say, I accidentally said Jim Davis first service. So we'll get you next. So another another good man. Uh, but James Boy. But first we want some instruction on eldership. Perhaps you're coming from another church that did not have ruling elders as your church leadership. You might be confused about this commandment from the Lord. He did not institute a democracy in in his church. 
He said to appoint elders. And the two, the two books of the Bible that we learn most about elders are what we call the pastoral epistles. First uh, Timothy specifically has a list of qualifications for elders, and so does the book of Titus. So let's go to the book of First Timothy. Starting in chapter 3, you can read along in your Bible. I think they'll project the words on the screen as well. I'm actually going to read parts of 1 Timothy. We want to see the instructions to choose elders, their qualifications, and what their function is. So, as you read along with me and follow along, be on the lookout for those things. What is the qualification of an elder? And um, what is their function? What are they doing? Why did God do it this way? We want to get all of our instructions about the church from God's Word. His Word is sufficient. It's given us everything we need for life and godliness and for building Christ's church, of which He is the head and the chief cornerstone. So, there is no chief elder. Christ is head of the church, amen? This is His bride, and He's called us all to be part of the bride and called certain men to look after the bride in a special way. So, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Skipping to chapter 4. Why we need elders. Why we need elders. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, 
who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. What ought elders to do? Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance and with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. How ought the congregation respond to eldership? The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Sorry, I'm in chapter 5, verse 17. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. And finally, skipping down to chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen. A lot of instruction there, but I love that Paul ends with adoration to the one who rules over all. While he's telling Timothy, appoint these rulers, these overseers, let's be reminded there is one who is sovereign, one who is king, one who is Lord of all. Let's also look at at Titus. Titus, like Timothy, was mentored by Paul to be a leader in the church. And he left Titus in Crete, many islands in that area, a lot of cities, and he says to appoint elders in each city. So, starting with verse 5, chapter 1. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So, the term elder is synonymous with overseer. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion... For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. We'll stop our reading there and say a few words about eldership based on these verses. We've just finished teaching two uh, classes this year on eldership, going through a book by Alexander Strzok on eldership. Um, Mike Borsier taught those, those classes. We encourage you, the next time we offer that class, sign up for it. Even if you're not going to be an elder, you need to know... Uh, who elders are and what their function is and how uh, to submit to the authority of elders. Certainly, you haven't seen our elders lording it over the church here, demanding and instructing you do things a certain way. That is not what is in view here. So, why elders? Why not majority rule in the church? Why not just take a vote on everything? Well, the church, the local church, not the universal church. There's the invisible church made up of all believers, and only God knows whose name is in the book of life. There are professing believers, but we know our Lord taught in Matthew chapter 7 that many will say to him on the last day, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so there is no way of determining at with absolute Um, confidence who the true believers are. So at any given time, the church is filled with believers and unbelievers. We're not to designate them with some kind of scarlet letter, but we are supposed to um, profess Christ, preach the gospel to our own hearts daily, preach to one another, preach to the world, look for fruits of repentance, fruits of the Spirit, 
when you see a brother in sin to remove the log from your own eye and then so you can see clearly the speck in your brother's eye. But if the church is made up of wheat and tares, as our Lord commanded, then you wouldn't want a majority rule voting for the church. You wouldn't want unbelievers deciding what kind of church they would like. I find it folly in the church growth movement that they canvass the neighborhoods and go door to door and ask people, if you were to go to church, what would you like in a church? And then create a church that people say they'd like to go to. Now, if you're knocking on someone's door who isn't going to church, why would you ask them what kind of church they'd want to go to? We need to ask the Lord of the church what he wants his church to be because he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. So God has commanded that his church be led by elders or overseers. Now, what part do you play? You look for men that fit these qualifications. They have a pattern of life. You've known them long enough to see them in all kinds of situations. How do they respond in conflict? Are they humble? Do they confess sin? Do they admit when they're wrong? Okay, not perfectly, but do they admit when they're wrong? If you've ever had to go to one and say, I I have a problem, can we talk? How did the conversation go? Were they humble? Did they listen? Do they keep private matters private? Do they care when people have stumbled? Or do they say, not my business? Do they visit the sick? Are they men of prayer? Do they keep a good household? What are they known for? These men, we ask that you nominate to the elder board, and the elder board first will examine the applicant. If they meet the biblical qualifications, then we'll call them in for an oral interview and hear their heart. Do they desire to be an elder? The first qualification for eldership is that they're regenerate, so we need to hear a profession of faith and see signs that they're truly regenerate. But secondly, they need to desire to do this work. Back to 1 Timothy 3. We always skip down to the qualification list, but the first qualification is right there in verse 1. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. You've got to want to do this. It's not, I want to be an elder so I can be in charge or I can have a position of authority or I want to have honor. We know that Jesus rebuked religious leaders of his day for exactly that kind of attitude. The attitude we're looking for here is, this man loves the church. He's a churchman, they call it. He's always here. He he loves the bride of Christ. He prays for the bride. He grieves when the bride grieves and rejoices when the bride rejoices. He humbly does all kinds of work already around the church. If he's not working already, then what makes you think he's going to suddenly start working once he has the title? I've heard some churches say, you know, what will bring Joe up to the next level in sanctification if we make him an elder. No, 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 no. (laughs) Not a good idea. Your heart's in the right place, but no, you want a man who's already humbly doing the work. 
you know he can handle the scriptures. Does he have to be able to preach like Andy? No. We'd have like no elders. You know, we'd have just Andy. But he has to be able to handle the scriptures and, and um, rightly divide the word of truth. It says, if he desires this, he desires a fine work. Notice the word work. It is work. These men on the elder board work. I can attest to that. And all but two of us don't get paid. So they do this after their, their work. Some, let's see. They're all retired. And this is how they're choosing to do, spend their retirement, to work hard for the Lord. It's not just long meetings, it's hospital visits, it's searching the scriptures, it's um, other ministries in, in the church. What do elders do? They feed the flock, so teach sound doctrine, preach the gospel for the saving of souls, mature the saints, and guide the flock on their, on their path to heaven. Sometimes literally. They're there at the bedside praying all the way to heaven. Protect the flock. That's why they need to be able to handle the Scriptures, not only feed the flock what is going to mature the saints, but protect them from false doctrine. They watch over the souls of the saints and even intervene when people are in sin. Intervene when people are in sin, out of love for them. In the same way, sheep will eat poisonous weeds and drink from perilous waters. The elder must care enough about the flock to intervene, to go after the lost sheep. And so the elder also cares for the flock. That includes physical needs and spiritual needs. A lot of the physical needs the Bible has instructed us to appoint to deacons to take care of, but elders can also do that work at times. The elders pour themselves out in prayer for the flock. They manage the affairs of the church, so they need to have some kind of managerial skills. Some are better managers than others, but all these men better have the kind of life where they kind of got their act together in an orderly way. They, they live a responsible, organized type life. If we all had the gift of administration, it'd probably be like a 25-hour elder meeting. So not everybody needs to be that kind of manager. But certainly it says they need to manage their family well because if they can't manage their own household, how can they manage the affairs of the church? When you look at the qualifications, it's interesting to note that God is not looking first and foremost for people who've been successful out in the world. They're not, God's not looking necessarily for savvy businessmen, clever lawyers, or marketing experts, though some of these would be welcome if they meet the other qualifications. Um, Certainly, if you were unsuccessful in your earthly business, it would probably not lend itself to any kind of confidence that you would do well here in the church. But being able to do things well out in the world does not guarantee that you will do things well here in the church. God's economy is a little different than 
the way you advance in the outside world. I remember in, uh, interviewing at another church, and the, the pastor had said, a lawyer had come into his, his office one day and basically said, here I am, you need an elder. And um, the man didn't really have a good handle on the scriptures, but he, you know, he thought, boy, I'm, I'm such a good lawyer, the church could use a guy like me. And the pastor had said, what if I had walked into your office and said, let me argue your next case? And the lawyer said, well, that's ridiculous. You don't have the, the tools and the education for that. And the pastor said, exactly. And the lawyer humbly retreated. But the pastor said, go and search the scriptures. Be a faithful minister in the church. And when the time is right, if God appoints you, we'll look at you again. So, it's certainly not a popularity contest. High intelligence isn't a prerequisite, though you've got to be able to read and handle the scriptures, so some modicum of intelligence is, is necessary. Some guys are so smart, they get in their way. You know what I mean? And um, he knows he's smart, and he just wants you to know that he's smart also. And that's not the kind of man God is looking for on the board of elders. Notice some of the qualifications. Most of them are what? Based on character. Character is what's important to God. Because... As it's written in Hosea 4.9, like people, like priest. Like people, like priest. People become like their leaders. That's why we encourage parents, the best thing you can do for your children, be a godly man and a godly woman and have a godly marriage. They're going to, more is caught than taught often. After 22 years in the pulpit, we have a church who loves God's Word, saturated by God's Word, obedient to God's Word. Praise God that the elders, when searching for a pulpit pastor, said, we want a guy who exposits the Scriptures and lives the Scriptures. Above reproach, another word for this is blameless. Now, nobody's absolutely blameless, right? I mean, we, if we're looking for people who don't sin, we're not going to find anybody. But the idea here is that it's a man that it's hard to find anything to accuse him of, whether outside the church or inside the church. But if there's constantly controversy kind of swirling around this man, and maybe none of it's ever stuck, but why is there this pattern of, you know, that's not being above reproach. It doesn't mean that he's guilty of any of those crimes. It just means that he seems to always be in the middle of controversy. Um, it says the husband of one wife, although the better translation is a one-woman man, you do not have to be married to be an elder. Single men can be an elder, but he needs to be known as a one-woman man. What is, what is going on here? In Paul's day, 
This was not a requirement or a virtue in Roman society. Many important noble men had a wife, and they were the husband of one wife, but they had lots of concubines. They often visited the temple, prostitutes. This was just normal. As long as you had one wife, then you were fine. So this isn't what Paul is saying because there are plenty of words in the Greek for being married. This is the idea that this man is devoted to one woman. She is the love of his life. He cares for her. He focuses on her and her needs. Because what is an elder being asked to do? Care for the bride of Christ. And so if you're single, the woman you should care about most is the bride of Christ. So if you see a man who's just devoted to the bride here, loves the church, spends his time here ministering to the bride, uh, that would be a, a single man who's qualified. Now, it helps to have raised a family. It's a lot of on-the-job training, is it not, to, uh, to shepherd people who sometimes don't want to be shepherded <laughs> and to be held accountable. Part of the sheep's responsibility is to hold the shepherds accountable. Let's see, some other words, temperate, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have a lot of people over to dinner, but this is a man who shows no partiality to certain people in the church. They get along with everybody to the, to the best of their ability by God's grace, right? Paul says, at all, if at all possible, get along with all men, Right? So this isn't a man who only likes to hang out with the movers and shakers of the church. Not addicted to wine, so this is not saying he doesn't drink at all, but not known as a drinker. That's not his, his M.O. He might toast with a glass of champagne at a wedding or, or maybe have an occasional glass of wine, but he doesn't get drunk because he's led by the Spirit, and he doesn't want anything controlling his thoughts other than the Spirit of Christ. He will say no to things that are allowable for others because he's been called to a holy calling of leading the church. Gentle and peaceable and not pugnacious. We don't want that guy on the elder board who's prone to anger and flare-ups, and it makes for a very difficult meeting, to say the least. Free from the love of, of money. Uh, at times, elders will be ma managing the affairs of the church, although in our church we've got uh, systems in place that the elders really don't touch or handle the money, but they do make decisions about how it is spent. Manages his own household well. Uh, that speaks for itself. And then a good reputation inside and outside the church. You're wondering, why is that important? I mean, if he's got a good reputation inside the church, who cares what they think outside? There is a type of man who looks great in church, and sadly, when you talk to people outside the church, they say, yeah, I would never do business with that guy. He's like shrewd and always trying to tip everything in his favor and... Um, for some reason, his Christian values don't seem to work outside 
the church. So there's nothing worse for the reputation of the church than for someone to go, oh, he's an elder at your church? Oh, okay. I'm not a Christian, and I don't know how the whole process works, but that's not who I'd want leading, you know, the church. So it must have a good reputation inside and outside the church. A few things added from Titus, not self-willed. This is the man who, his ideas are always the best ideas. He can't submit to the other elders. He has a hard time submitting to, to anyone. He considers himself above the rest of the elders. Uh, Titus, and Titus, it does say, must have believing children. Boy, that would take like days to go through that text. There's a lot of different ideas on what that means. But certainly, you should see a faithful pattern of preaching the gospel to his children in a winsome way that helps lead his children to the Lord. It's difficult to serve as an elder if you have unbelieving children. Um, Sometimes they will even try to embarrass dad or embarrass the church. And then finally, holding fast the faithful word so that he can exhort and refute. We started there, we'll end there. He's got to know the Scriptures, believe in the Scriptures as the inerrant, infallible Word of God. So today we're going to dedicate our newest elder, James Boyd, or Jim Boyd. I'm going to call him forward at this time, and the other elders that are in attendance to lay hands on Jim. We did this at first service. We're going to do it again. I hope he doesn't change his answers. (laughs) We have it on tape. So... Yeah, we could just play it back. He was nominated by a member of Country Oaks. He's been a faithful member for a number of years. He's certainly a one-woman man, beautiful family, walking with the Lord. You've had time to evaluate his character, to see him in action. He often serves quietly behind the scenes in Sunday school and, and Awana and in many other places. He's passed a written and oral examination, but he's committed to growing in the knowledge of the Scriptures more and more every day. Amen. The congregation had 30 days to examine him, and and none came forward. Um, We kind of grilled him (laughs) in the office and asked him all kinds of Difficult questions, and he answered those questions with grace, humility, and dignity. Thank you, Jim. And so it is our pleasure to confer you as Elder of Country Oaks. His term is for as long as the Lord allows you to serve, and you will know that. The Lord will let you know, or until um, he's disqualified for some reason, and we will pray that won't happen. And part of your job is to lift up the elders in prayer. Taking on this position, I think, puts a big target on your back. Our enemy would tear down the bride of Christ by attacking its leadership. So, it's an official elder dedication ceremony that 
we're going to use. Today we celebrate God's gift of faithful leadership for his people. We joyfully thank him for elders who have served and are serving. We praise him for providing for new elders. In the elders of the church, we see the love of Christ for his people. As the Lord of the church, he appoints leaders and by his spirit equips them so that believers may grow in faith, develop disciplined Christian living, serve others in selfless love, and share with all the good news of salvation. He taught us the spirit of true leadership when he said, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Elders serve by governing the church in Christ's name. They must provide true preaching and teaching, regular celebration of the sacraments, and faithful counsel and discipline, while keeping in confidence those matters entrusted to them. And they must promote fellowship and hospitality among believers, ensure good order in the church, equip the saints for works of ministry, and lead the church in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Today we intend to ordain or appoint or dedicate Jim Boyd to the office of elder. Jim, step forward, please. Ask you a few questions. Do you believe that in the call of this congregation, God Himself is calling you to this holy office? Yes. Do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God, the inerrant, infallible rule of faith and life? Yes. Do you subscribe to the doctrinal standards of this church, rejecting all teaching which contradicts them? Yes. Do you promise to do the work of your office faithfully in a way worthy of your calling and in submission to your fellow elders? and the discipline of the church. Yes. Good. God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to the sacred office, may he guide you by his word, equip you with his spirit, and so prosper your ministry that his church may increase and his name be praised. Amen. So I'm going to give you a charge, and then I'm going to charge the congregation. So first a charge to Jim. I charge you as elder to guard yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Be a shepherd of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Be a friend and Christ-like example to children. Give clear and cheerful guidance to young people. By word and example, bear up God's people in their pain and weakness and celebrate their joys with them. Hold and trust all sensitive matters confided to you. Encourage the elderly to persevere in God's promises. Be a wise counselor who supports and strengthens the pastor. Be compassionate, yet firm and consistent in rebuke and discipline. Know the scriptures, which are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Pray continually for the church. Remember at all times that if you would truly give spiritual leadership in the household of faith, you must be completely mastered by your Lord. Congregation, could you please stand? If you're able. Your elders charge you 
people of God, to receive Jim Boyd as elder as Christ's gift to the church, recognize in him the Lord's provision for healthy congregational life, hold him in honor, take his counsel seriously, respond to him with obedience and respect, accept his help with thanks, sustain him in prayer and encourage him with your support, especially when he feels the burden of his office, and acknowledge him as the Lord's servant among you. Do you, congregation, pledge to receive him as you have been charged? If so, answer, I do. I do. All right. Elders, if you'll lay hands on Jim. Our merciful Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided this faithful and gifted man to serve as elder. As James assumes his responsibilities, fill him with your spirit, endow him with your wisdom, Grant him strength. Make him a faithful worker in your vineyard. Under his guidance, may your church grow in every spiritual grace, in faith which is open and unashamed, and in the committed service that promotes your reign in the world. Help him to perform his duties with enthusiasm and humility. In his work, grant him a sense of sustained awe which is rooted in daily adoration of you, his Lord. Through him, may your name be honored and your church be served. Help us, your people, to accept him gladly, encourage him always, and respect him for the sake of your precious Son, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.